Reading is from Philemon, verses 8 to 22. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Hello all, morning. Good to see you. Peter not only banished the devil, but he banished me earlier. It was great fun, because he was having a music rehearsal, I was interrupting. But talking about which, I took that rebuke firmly on the chin, as Philemon is about to. Um, Finishing off the sandwich. Now, what am I on about if you weren't here last time? The encouragement sandwich. Useful when approaching someone with a request, or maybe a criticism, or a rebuke, or something that you think may be hard to take for them. And that's what Paul is doing with Philemon. Philemon had a slave called Onesimus. And it looks like Onesimus stole from him and then ran off. While Onesimus was on the run, he met Paul and he got saved. He was transformed by Christ and now Paul wants to get Philemon to take him back. But that's a bit tricky after what Onesimus did to Philemon. Hence the encouragement sandwich that Paul puts up for us. And the first piece of bread, as we said, is starting with an encouragement And then the middle filling is a request, a rebuke, or something that may be hard to receive. And then it's topped off by the last piece of bread, which is to end with an encouragement, which seems to be the structure of this passage. Last week, Paul prepared that first piece of bread for us, verses 1 to 7. He reminded Philemon 
that all the all, all of us are participants of God's grace and peace, and he greets Philemon with the same. He then points out the good fruit that he sees and has heard about from Phile about Philemon's life. Then he is encouraging him that obedience to Christ reveals a full understanding of every good thing in Christ. And now we come to the filling in the middle, the difficult bit for him to approach with Philemon. He's kind of saying, Philemon, you have a reputation for loving all the saints, that's just other Christians, in verse 4 to 7. Now love Onesimus in the same way. Verse 8. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do that what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. You see, Paul uses the carrot and not the stick. And the carrot, for those of you that aren't familiar with this expression, is um, the pleasant bit. That's something that you're more likely to respond to. The stick is kind of saved for a bit later if that doesn't work. <laughs> um, you see, he's saying he could use his apostolic God-given authority to order Philippian, um, Philemon in what he ought to do before Christ, which is to forgive Onesimus and have him back. He could use the stick, but he'd much rather use the carrot. Any authority leaders have, appointed proper leaders in the church today have, is given through the word of God and by God. Um, and elders are given that authority to watch over and rule the affairs of God's people in the local church. But that authority is also given by God, as indicated through the congregation, who must here at least vote elders in with an 80% majority. When asking someone to do something, it's way more preferable to lovingly appeal to them. It always should be the first uh, tack. Jesus says uh, to the 12 in Luke 22, 25, over there have been um, secretly arguing about who might be the greatest in the kingdom. And he says, the kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. So it's a completely different way from the world, isn't it? 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to Corinthians 1.24, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, because it's by faith you stand firm. This is exactly how the Lord treats us too, isn't it? He convicts us, and his first approach is gentle and kind and persuasive. However, if the carrot doesn't work, the stick can be used as a last resort. Because sometimes in our rebellion, God needs to discipline us. Because we stick our heels in. Because we're stubborn. I've been like that. I'm sure you have. Psalm 32.8. The Lord says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. There's the kind, loving, comforting words. But... Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding and must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they won't come to you. God's saying, I don't really want to do that at all. 
I'm here to help you and it's for your good. But even if it comes to the stick, and sometimes it does, it's a last resort and it's still out of love. And it's still for your good. Verse 10 of uh, Psalm 32. Many are the ways of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. When I was first a Christian, always a rebel, um, I used to spend most of my time reminding myself of Psalm 32. It had my name all over it for years and years and years of my early Christian life. Always learned the hard way, always kicked against anything God told me to do. And then I've got bruises to show for it. Not physical. Hebrews 12.5 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves. Endure hardship as discipline. Why? God is treating you as sons. It's because he cares. If you are not disciplined, then you're illegitimate children and not true sons. Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. That's referring to good fathers who did their best by you. If they didn't, it doesn't apply. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Come the easy way, not the hard way. So Paul's going for the carrot and appealing to Philemon's good fruit of love in his life. And he's appealing for him now to go this one step further in love, to take back the one who's wronged him. When you have the unhappy task, and it often is, of having to ask someone to do something they may find hard to take, start gently, prepare the first piece of bread with encouragement. Then use that fruit perhaps you've already seen in their lives. There must be some good in them to encourage them to continue in it, to demonstrate that love even when it's hard and even when it hurts, because love does hurt sometimes. Always start with love, gentleness, kindness, the carrot, not the stick. Have you seen the Aldi thing? Remember last Christmas or Christmas before, Kevin the carrot? Remember that, Kevin? Do you remember? Um, anyway, that now will remind you, always use the carrot and not the stick. Every time you look at Kevin, <laughs> you'll think, use the carrot, not the stick. Sorry, Kevin, just came out. That's strange. Okay. The other thing is this. Encouragement sandwich, the filling in the middle. Appeal to a person's empathy. Do an old man a favour is kind of what Paul's saying now. Verse 9. I then, as Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Anissimus, that's his spiritual son, who became my son while I was in change. Now, is that manipulative to do that? Well, maybe, but it's for the good. Because he's asking Philemon to build upon the great love he's always shown to Paul. By taking Anisimus back, 
It's an act of love to Paul. Because he's now old and now he's in jail and he's coming towards the end of his life. This isn't his final jail sentence, but he senses that it's going to be his end soon. He's old. And he's just saying maybe, just as I'm not free, I'm in jail and not far from death, so is Onesimus. He's a slave. He's on the run like a criminal. And if you report him in those days, he would face the death penalty as a slave. He'd have no rights whatsoever. I remember my dad when he was getting old, he's passed on now. And he had a few months left with brain cancer. And there was a trickle flow of relatives and friends going to his bedside, going to see him. And he took the uh, opportunity to encourage them, to warn them in t at times, to ask them to watch over some who were clearly struggling that we knew of. And he could say what he wanted. He had a captive audience. You can't ignore the wishes of an old man and a restricted man who only had a few months to live. He literally had got us over a barrel. It was a master stroke. I didn't come out on the skate either. But behind it, was this deep concern and godly love for those he'd leave behind. He was the last of the patriarchs in our family. He wanted folks to sort their issues out with each other and the Lord and show care and love, especially for those who were struggling and drifting and not yet saved. Making requests, telling truths to loved ones before you die or while you have time is actually very biblical. Jacob did it. Got them all around his deathbed, didn't he? David did it. Even Jesus made requests and gave encouragements while he was dying on the cross. It enables folks to say what they need to say and do what they need to do before that person's gone and then you're in the sorry position sometimes that you wish you'd said this, but you didn't. And you wish you did this, and you didn't. Let me encourage you here this morning. Time is short. If you see a fellow believer struggling, going astray, refusing to forgive or whatever, be a good friend. Say something. Say what you need to say, but say it carefully and with a heart that wants God's best for them. A good friend does not watch their friend carry on regardless, ruining themselves and others. Um, a good friend doesn't see the danger that they're in or that they don't see and do nothing about it. How can that be love? That's not love. Paul was being a good friend to Philemon. Watch each other's backs. New Testament says that a lot in so many words. Proverbs 27.6 Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You've got no mate who watches you go down a dark alley and says nothing. That's not a mate. Man up, face up. Woman up if you like, whatever the expression is. Do it nicely, but do it. And the other thing is this. Recognize what Christ has done or can do in that person. Verse 11. Formerly, Onesimus, Paul says, was useless to you. But now he's become useful to both you and me. 
Even before Onesimus ran off, it doesn't sound like he was particularly useful to Phil. It, it, it actually looks like he's a bit of a waste of space. But something's changed in Onesimus. He's trusted Christ, we learn. He's a new creation. He's changed from the inside out. He's being remade. His spiritually dead, dead to God heart has now been infused with resurrection power and made alive to God. That's what happens. And when that happens, everything changes. The Bible says, can a leopard change his spots? No, of course not. But Christ can. You know, Christ can take a nobody in this kingdom and make them a somebody in his kingdom. He can deliver the death blow to your old self-centered heart and transplant instead a new heart, which we read is created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. If you're a Christian, you've got this new heart beating with resurrection pulsation. You must never underestimate the power of Christ to completely transform anyone, absolutely anyone, from a cold-blooded serial killer, and there are testimonies, to a saint full of love, from a lazy, self-centered person to an obedient, Christ-serving, people-loving person, from a God-hater to a God-lover. You see it sometimes tangibly overnight with some people, and other times it's a, a slow burner. It doesn't matter. It's happening. He can take some, from somebody who knows about Jesus to somebody who knows Jesus. If you only know about Jesus, you know nothing. You need to come and know Jesus in order to be saved. He takes the one who left the Christ out of Christianity, the religious guy or woman, to one who loves the Christ of Christianity. This is what Christ does. In terms of serving the Lord, all of us were useless to God once. But he had plans. And he had plans to make you useful. And now you are. You see, what Christ does is he changes the heart, which changes the life. We so often, and John was mentioning the woke earlier, quite rightly, I believe, <laughs> and um, it, it's an outward, it's an outward thing. The heart isn't changed. The only fundamental change is when you're changed from within, which works its way out. That's how your life can be changed, genuinely, non-hypocritically. You see, old habits make way for Christ-centered habits. Self-centered unforgiveness is replaced by loving others and forgiving them for Christ's sake. Because everything then in your life is done for Christ's sake. Because you love him more than anybody else, so you're going to do anything he asks. And it's out of love that he asks you anyway. And here's a perfect one from a, for Onesimus, the thief, which the Lord has clearly done in his life. Ephesians 4.28 He who has been stealing, he was once useless, must steal, no, must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands, that he may have something to share with those in need. You see, when you're blasted from the inside out, it affects the outside. 
Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Why? Because that's useless to God. But only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now that's useful. In other words, what Christ has done with Onesimus, he's doing with each one of us once we were useless, and sin is still useless to God. And now we are useful and can be useful. And me like that. You see, once you've met Christ, you are forever smitten by Christ, aren't you? Deep, deep down. Because you move from all about me and mine to all about him and his. And Paul now recommends the new Onesimus, the transformed Onesimus, to Philemon. And Paul knows exactly what he's talking about when it comes to transformation, because Paul himself was transformed by Christ himself. Radically. Paul was a terrorist. He spent his time seeking Christians out, followers of the way, torturing them, jailing them, killing them, and thinking he was doing God a favour. It's very contemporary at the moment, that is. But then he met Christ, and his hate turned to a great love for those he once hated. But when he first tried to meet up with other Christians, they were terrified too. And wouldn't you be? Supposing I was a known terrorist and then I came in here and said, everybody I've got saved, let me give my testimony. You'd be checking me for all sorts of things, wouldn't you? You wouldn't trust me if you'd seen me in the news and everything. And I'd killed so many people and then I'd come to the people I've killed. Of course you're not going to trust me and neither did they when Paul was first saved. Acts 9.13, Ananias was told to go to him because the Lord had dealt with him on road of Damascus. And, uh, and Ananias says, Lord, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name and you're asking me to go and see him. I'm not going to do that. But the Lord said to Ananias, go This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I bet you he could hardly believe it. What? You see, Paul knew only too well what it was like to be treated with caution just in case others thought the transformation wasn't real and he wasn't the Christian he now claimed to be. And maybe Philemon was thinking the same of Onesimus. Maybe there was a kind of reluctance to take him back because maybe he's just the same as before and he's he's blagging it. I wonder if you ever thought that about anyone that's been saved. Especially if it's been fairly graphic. Or maybe they've been very manipulative. Or maybe they've betrayed your trust before and then they suddenly claim they're saved. I remember my dad when he came, after I'd uh, come to the Lord, he came as soon as he could the next day. First thing he asked me was, uh, did you really take Christ into your life? Did did you surrender to? It's almost like he couldn't believe it and he wanted to test it out. Are you taking me for a ride? Have you ever thought that about others? It's important to be cautious clearly with those who claim that they've been transformed and maybe they've come from a kind of background which is 
potentially dangerous or harmful. Of course that's wisdom. But we do need to accept them. We do need to embrace them. We do need to welcome them in. We do need to rejoice with them and we need to forgive them because Christ has forgiven them unless they prove otherwise later. Onesimus was with Paul for a while, it seems. Paul can testify to the change over a period. You can trust the word of others who know a person well, have seen the change. Isn't that why we even have references for jobs? They're asking people who've known them through their difficult times and through their not-so-difficult times. Are they genuine? And then with this filling in the middle encouragement sandwich, Paul seems happy now to let go of Onesimus because he sees that God has other plans for him. Verse 12, I am sending him, who is my very heart, it's not going to be easy for Paul, back to you. I would like to have kept him with, kept me, him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent, so it wasn't forced, so that any favour you do will be spontaneous and not forced. It will come from the heart. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man, as a brother in the Lord. He's going to bless you more than he's blessing me. You know, you can get very attached to some people, can't you, in church? You develop strong bond, a connection with people, or even a whole flock. And you have a deep love for them. And when it's time for them to go, you don't want them to go. But God often brings people into our lives for a season. And then he moves them on. Or he moves you on. Clearly Paul is going to miss Onesimus. But he knows he's going to be more of a blessing for Philemon. And even more useful in another church, Philemon's church. And it is grievous, isn't it, when dear friends move on and we miss them terribly, but thank God that he ever sent them into our lives. Paul thanks God every time he remembers Philemon. You see, nothing is permanent in this life. And when you think you're settled and you think you're going to be somewhere forever, suddenly the Lord says, no, you're not, off you go. It's not fair, is it? But after a while, it is fair and it's good. Nothing's permanent in this life. We love and then we let go because we love. It's the same when kids fly the nest, isn't it? My last one's about to shoot off next uh, summer and she can't wait. When a close fellow Christian, maybe, as well, goes somewhere else, be grateful for them. The friends, the family you have right now are only here for a season. They're not yours to own. They're not yours to keep. They're not yours to hold back from what God has for them. And they're actually gifts of God for you right now. Parting is sweet sorrow, but part they must. God's moving them on. Philemon will be extra blessed because of Onesimus. 
and Paul will be fine too. Have you lost someone very dear to you? They've moved on maybe. Praise God for the time that you've had with them. It's not the end. The Lord may have plans for them, but he also has plans for you. He does not leave you desolate. And in my experience, uh, and uh, I have lost friends, he replaces them. If you love someone, set them free. Sting. It's true though. There's a lot of truth in that. And then here's the crunch in our encouragement sandwich, the middle, the, 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 the middle filling. Verse 17, so if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this in my own hand. I'll pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. He's basically saying, Philemon, you love me, you welcome me, so love and welcome Onesimus. And Paul is kind of being like Jesus here. He's saying, I'll cover that sinner's debt. I'll pay whatever he owes you. He can't do anything about it. He can't pay. He hasn't got a bean. He's not even free. He's a slave. He's got nothing to offer. Charge it to me, says Jesus. Yes, because that's what he did to each one of us. And then Paul says, Also, did I not lead you to Christ? Was not your life saved and spared and transformed and forgiven? Christ set you free, return the favour and forgive Onesimus and go further and set him free. Don't just forgive them. Forgiveness is just the beginning of the process. Which leads us nicely on to the final piece of bread which will be done in about three minutes. Paul encourages Philemon because he's absolutely confident that Philemon will go the extra mile. Verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And also I'll do you an extra favor here, Philemon. And you've been praying that I'll come and visit you. I'm going to get out of here and I will visit you as an answer to your prayers. So that's an added bonus. And I'm not being a big head because you've been praying for me to come. And one thing more, verse 22, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Talk about this going the extra mile. I love this bit as we close. Remember what Jesus said about the one who wronged the other. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who will treat you. If someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. If someone takes your cloak, don't stop him taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Wow. Do to others 
as you would have them do to you. You see, Jesus specializes in going the extra mile. He always did. He always will. When people hated Jesus, he blessed them. He is the <laughs> fulfillment, perfect fulfillment of what he's telling others to do. When he was ill-treated, he prayed for them. When he was beaten to a pulp, Isaiah 52, and marred beyond human recognition, he said nothing. And they took his cloak and they mocked him and then they stripped him naked and he let them. Ask and it will be given to you, Christ says, for everyone who asks receives. And when they'd beaten him and they'd stripped him and they'd nailed him to the cross, he takes the very sins of his persecutors, that one of those thieves next to him who was previously hurling insults with the rest of them, he takes his sin upon himself. And the Roman centurion in charge, overseeing the crucifixion, make sure it gets done proper. Uh, Romans, brilliant killers, expert professional killers. He takes his sin on himself. Those priests who mocked him on the cross and plotted to kill him beforehand. We read later in Acts that not a few priests came to Christ and some in the Sanhedrin came to faith. He even took their sins upon himself. <laughs> it's ridiculous. In an amazing way. You see, Christ did immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. For you and for me. Forgiveness was just the start. And now he asks you to go the extra mile for the Onesimus in your life. Because there will be one. And Christ is saying, as Paul is confident of Philemon, to do that extra mile, to go that extra mile, to not only forgive, but to do so much more. He knows that with the Holy Spirit in you, empowering you, you can, and you will, and you can do so much more. Amen. Let's pray, and then we'll come to the table, and then we'll sing at the end. <coughs> Father, we thank you for the glory of the Lord Jesus, who's written all over Philemon. And uh, we thank you so much that we have been bought back from the slave market, just as uh, Philemon was to release Anisimus, and that we have been brought back from the slavery to sin, to death, to hell, to self, to the world, oh, you name it. And you've bust us out of that, and not just forgiven us, uh, but given us on the top all the wonderful things of your life as a cloak to wear in righteousness, uh, that we were naked, as it were, but you came and wrapped us up and yet you were naked on that cross dying for us. We thank you, Lord, that you've gone so much further than uh, we deserve. Well, you didn't deserve anything, but you've given us much, much, much more on top. And you've asked us to do the same, especially to our enemies, especially to those who have upset us and hurt us and ill-treated us. And that's a tall order, but we can do it, and we can be confident that we can do it by the power of your Holy Spirit. We want to work out the salvation with fear and trembling in our own lives and towards others, to love our neighbours as ourselves, as we heard this morning too. Amen.